acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. One of our episodes this week was on Ellen Sweller Richards. And as I said at the end of the episode, I wish there had not been so much eugenics in there. And <laughs> there's... There's just like, I uh, I just, I have a hard time sometimes articulating just how mainstream those ideas were. Like, there were textbooks, your regular high school textbook that just laid out eugenics as though it was accepted fact. And uh, like a lot of the same groups that the movement targeted as inferior also adopted those same ideas for their own improvement like the, no group is a monolith there were of course people in every group that were like this is maybe not the best plan but it was just everywhere and so there are so many people that you will research especially at the end of the 19th and early 20th century and you'll be like this person was really cool oh no eugenics uh and so much about euthenics was also like all about preserving clean water and clean air and having adequate ventilation in indoor spaces, which sure has revealed itself to be incredibly important over the last years of a (laughs) pandemic. Uh, But then also, like, there's just a thread of, like, and we're going to improve the race with this. And I was like, what if if we didn't, though? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's interesting because, as you said, it was very accepted, But I think what we don't often acknowledge is that it was also lauded for how smart and, like, progressive it was. Yeah. So I always think of things like that when we tackle stuff today and we're like, this is the new ideology that's going... I'm like, will it be this way forever, though? (laughs) Well, the most horrific parts of the eugenics movement were after she had died. Yeah. Um, So, like, I think that, like, there were some, uh, like, sterilization programs that I think did start before she died. Um, But 
it was really after it were after she had died that like that became widespread and then obviously like the whole Nazi race science and eugenics program was after her death by a lot um but those core ideas that like there are people who deserve to have children and other people who shouldn't have children like it's just we could have instead spent so much time recognizing that humanity has like we all have innate worth <laughs> right <laughs> and uh and maybe instead of thinking about like uh which people should be having children and which people should not have children like instead we could have been spending all of that time and energy talking about how to make society accessible and welcoming to everybody but like that oh tracy that's not i know and like the same same ideas about like encouraging the right people like that you they still come up today like i remember there just being a big furor maybe 20 years ago, that was about how the educated people aren't having enough children. And I was just like, this is eugenics. Like, right. it's eugenics again. Right. I mean, that gets said all the time. Yeah. Still, yeah. that's ongoing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to, I don't know how to help those people. No. <laughs> no. I did l- chuckle to myself when we talked about um, her early learnings in maintaining an efficient, orderly, and well-kept home. I'm like, what's that like? I don't know. Yeah, as I was sort of thinking, <laughs> when I first lived in my own apartment, um, I kept it very clean. And I would start Saturday morning. I had like a cleaning ritual that I would clean the rooms of my apartment. But I was also living by myself in, uh, it was like technically a two-bedroom apartment, but I used one bedroom as the bedroom and the other bedroom was like a home office computer room type space. And I mostly, the thing, I just didn't have a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was living on my own for the first time and I had like furniture that had come out of my parents' basement uh, or which some generous neighbors sold to me for very cheap and I, like, that. there just were not a lot of possessions in my home. And now, you know, 27 years have passed. And there's just all this stuff everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we have we have piles. And we collect a lot of stuff. So our house is like a crazy fun house all the yeah. time. Um, you described your house to me one time when we were, we had just met as if Sanford and Son were really creative. <laughs> That's sort of accurate. I mean, we've been really making, like, a more progressive um, approach over the years to, like, okay, but how do we tame this? Uh, and for me, I've realized, like, I I tend to have a very all-or-nothing approach, mm-hmm. which doesn't work, right? Like, you can't. Because oh, sure, the, sure. then things will, like, get set up, and the second they get a little askew, I'm like, well, that didn't work. I don't and know. It's ruined. Um <laughs> Right now, I am in the middle of a fairly significant closet overhaul, which uh-huh. anyone who knows me knows that's a lot. Um, yeah, where I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to cull the collection because uh-huh. I have a lot of clothes. I mean, I have clothes I've had since I was thirteen. Sure, and some of them I will keep, mm-hmm. um, but others I'm like. I got this t-shirt at like a 5K that I dropped into like day before. I don't need this shirt. Yeah. Why do I have yeah. this shirt? Um, 
But it's, I have realized though that if I am a little more generous with myself and go, listen, just do a little bit each day, you're fine. Mm-hmm. It's actually way easier to just maintain things than if I were being quite so stringent and like, no, you must do everything and overhaul the whole. I'm like, all right, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the other things about that first apartment is that I moved in uh, in a process that took like a couple trips with a pickup truck. And the reason it took more than one trip was because my parents let me take my old bedroom furniture from my childhood bedroom. And so like we didn't rent a U-Haul or anything. Took a couple trips in the pickup to do it. Yeah. Uh, So that meant that like once I was unpacked, everything was clean and it was easy to like keep it clean. Even with three cats in that apartment, it was able to I was able to pretty much keep it clean. Something that we didn't get into in this episode, because we have gotten into it on, in other episodes about home economics as a field, is that there's kind of multiple ways to look at it in terms of the effect that it had on women. Um, because home economics programs made a college education a lot more accessible to a lot more women, especially women whose families would have objected to their idea of going to college. Right. But since they were going to college to study home economics, like, it was more acceptable. Um, But also, there are arguments that home economics as a field, like, further focused women's lives on the domestic field. Right. Like, on the sphere of homemaking and child-rearing and things like that. Um, And, like, we we didn't get into that as much in this episode, both because we had talked about it uh, in, in, in episodes that are still fairly new compared to the whole archive. But then also because, like, this was toward the end of her career when she had spent so much of her time focused on education for women outside of that sphere <laughs> of home yeah. economics. Like, uh, I loved the part about her um, becoming head of the science section for correspondence courses to make it possible for all kinds yes. of people to to study that they would not have had otherwise. Yeah, I love that. It also reminded me a bit of when we did the interview about Sears. Yeah. Um, and talked about how mail order opened up, uh, like, consumer purchasing to people who had been discriminated against in stores. Yeah, I still, that's still probably the most mind-blowing moment I've ever had on this show. Yeah. Because I just never thought about it until Jerry right. said, like, no, that's, that's yeah. why, <laughs> that's why Sears was so popular with Black customers for so long. Because yeah. it was the one place they knew that, like, they had, they could go for mail order and not right. have to deal with being stared at or treated as though they were unworthy or going to do something wrong in the store. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I That is obviously my privileged white perspective right. never took that into account. Makes yeah. all the sense on earth. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. I uh, keep picking people to talk about on the show that turn out to be complicated. <laughs> well, because that's what humans are. Yeah, and I knew there was going to be complications with Ellen Swallow Richards because I already knew, like, how much of the home economics movement was connected to eugenics and other issues. But, yeah, part of me wanted to take a little field trip over to her house on Jama- in Jamaica Plain, but I'm pretty sure it's just somebody's private residence now, and that felt creepy. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter. <laughs> 
Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We talked about the frustrating story of Eliza Fenning this week. We did. (laughs) Uh, On a lighter note, because I always like to talk about food. Uh Uh-huh. What is chicken and dumplings to you? Or what do you call dumplings? Okay. Well, I call dumplings two different things. Okay. There are dumplings that are a shell made of dough that is stuffed with something and is steamed or fried. Right. More in the Asian cuisine. Yeah. Dumplings are also... Yeah, this is what I want More like a biscuity type thing... That is, like, topped onto, uh, like, chicken and dumplings is, like, chicken and also, uh, like, things like peas and carrots and onions and stuff like that, and also a broth. And then these things that are more like a doughy, maybe biscuity is not, like, like, little, like, but... But portions of dough put on top of that, and then it all goes into the oven so that it sort of simultaneously poached in the liquid and maybe baked a little bit on the top. Um, When my mom would make chicken and dumplings when I was a kid, 
the dumpling parts, I think, were always like totally submerged in the liquid oh. during the cooking. And they just, they were doughier and not as delicious to me as when my husband does it and, and they go on top. Not exactly like a crust, but kind of I feel like this is very a very long-winded description no now, this but is like all, I want all of this it's uh when it gets to be really cold le- weather I'm often like when are we having chicken and dumplings <laughs> what if you made chicken and dumplings tonight um growing up I think my mom made up what chicken and dumplings were okay because she would do them like in the pan and she would make like a very biscuity dough in the same pan that she had fried chicken in she would just drop that dough in with them towards the end and let them puff up and you got these nice like buttery had some chicken grease in them like biscuits essentially that sounds really good and delicious unlike anything Anything i've I've ever had as dumpling unlike anything i've ever seen anybody else do but that's what i grew up with and then we moved to the south and i remember being at a restaurant and seeing chicken and dumplings on the menu and i ordered it and when it came and it was like submerged dumplings in what appeared to be a soupy stew i was just Uh like what is this glop yeah yeah (laughs) yeah when patrick does it it's like uh occasionally they come out uh, heavy, which is the term that's used in here with the dumplings that were allegedly poisoned. Uh, like when something has gone not quite right in the mixing process, occasionally right. they will come out in a way that we both describe as too heavy. But it, I find them to be really delicious because they have like that more doughy, almost poached texture, but there's often like a more biscuity, crispy top layer yes, to it. Delicious. It's all, it's a, it's, I find it very, very yummy. And maybe I'm going to text him right now and say, <laughs> when, when are we having chicken and dumplings? Yeah, there's, you know, if the yeast doesn't interact properly with the gluten or any of the sugars in it, like it will get really heavy. They won't puff up and be beautiful. Um, and there was a point where Eliza mentioned during one of her statements that the yeast kind of left this weird red residue, which she thought was poison, but I think like your yeast was just not active anymore. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that gets me, let me tell you about the villain in this story in my book, because it is Charlotte Turner. Yeah. I don't think Charlotte Turner did the poisoning. Uh I think Robert did it, but I think Charlotte covered it up for him and was also a witch. Okay. (laughs) She, there's a whole thing that I didn't include here where she just like hovered over Eliza, who was a cook. She had been cooking professionally for like years at this point. Whereas Charlotte was not, and she was like a newlywed wife Mm -hmm. hovering over her, telling her how to do every step. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know you're technically the boss, but get out. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, And it was actually Charlotte that insisted that milk went into the sauce because Eliza was like, I'm making... I'm not making that. We're doing like a gravy kind of sauce. And she's like, no, milk in the sauce. And so I'm like, suspicious. I make the Simpsons dog suspicious eye face. Allegedly, the doctor, John Marshall, did get John Joseph Hume, who was developing ways to test for arsenic, involved. Mm -hmm. And he did, in his test, determine that it was arsenic. Although it seemed like John Marshall kind of like, got there before he had done any of the testing. Like, he was kind of looking to support his assumed 
thesis instead of really doing the like, sure. the scientific method where you try to prove it by disproving it, essentially. But yeah, that's a little bit weird. John Marshall also wrote a pamphlet after Eliza had been executed that is essentially a smear campaign against her. Mm. It's completely opposite to the way most accounts um, and recordings of things she has said and her letters and, like, the way that press reporters found her. He makes her sound like this really bratty shrew who just barks at everybody and it's like so discordant to every other yeah. uh, account we have of her behavior and her temperament that it's like dude no yeah Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I haven't even gotten to the gross part. Okay. Which is Sylvester, the judge. Because he was known as a hanging judge. Yeah. He just loved to prosecute people. There were a lot of those 
in Britain during this era. Yes, for sure. And he also had a really horrible reputation for demanding sexual favors of women who came to him for help. And I'm just like, you are the grossest of gross, yeah. gross, gross, gross. Yeah. We've had a couple of episodes before when we've talked about how the justice system worked in Britain over the 18th and 19th centuries and other periods too. But like we've we've talked about several things that have been related to like how often it really was just stacked against whoever was the defendant. Um, like the there was just a presumption that this was uh, rubber stamping the fact that the person had, who had been accused was guilty. And yep. um, this was uh, maybe 50 years or so prior to this was uh, when we talked about women being uh, transported to Australia to try yes. to offset the gender imbalance in the convicted men that were being transported to Australia and, like, how many people were being transported for and just incredibly minor alleged offenses, like stealing somebody's underwear off the clothesline, like that kind of stuff. So this is a way bigger case because it's, like, possibly an attempted murder... <laughs> right. Uh, but, like, I saw just a lot of the same traits in the way that the trial played out. Yeah. There is also a detail that comes up in the most scant mentions. Isn't focused on, at least in none of the, the documents or information that was available to me, that Charlotte Turner was apparently pregnant when all of this happened. Mm. And it didn't impact her pregnancy negatively. Huh. To the best of our knowledge, but, like, you would think that would be a huge focus, right? right. Like, she, she tried to poison a pregnant woman, but it never seems to come up. Huh. Or it was just not recorded properly in court documents, because that is also a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very common. Yeah. You know, they weren't getting everything word for word, for sure. And there, um, there were mentions in some, uh, I read a couple of different books that talked about this trial, and there is, like, an acknowledgement that eventually, like, between arraignment and, like, the old Bailey trial that people would have, eventually those documents would carry over, like, the statements from the arraignment would make their way yeah. to the trial, but that wasn't always happening at this point. So it was a lot harder to catch inconsistencies, a lot harder to have a basis to go off of on other records to, like, prompt questions. So, weird. One of the other things that came up for me as we were recording this, like, it's clear that some of the things that were done to determine whether there was arsenic present were specious at best. <laughs> um, and, like, that's not over. There continue to be all kinds of, like, forensic methods that have been used to convict people and in some cases execute people that turn out to just not hold up at all. Like, um, I remember a whole case where a man had been convicted of arson in a fire that killed his children. Um, and there were all these things about the burn patterns on the floor that the, the prosecution was like, you, this, this is evidence that there was an accelerant dripped in all these places. Um, and then they did, uh, the fire department later did, like, a training burn of the house next door with part of the purpose being seeing if the same thing held up mm. when they kn knew for sure what was used in the house. And it was, like, the exact same burn patterns 
were present mm-hmm. when no accelerant had been used. And it's like, there just keep being things like that coming up where a lot of things that have been sort of accepted as evidence work out to be like, oh, that's not actually how that works. <laughs> right. Yes. There is some interesting um, speculation that was going on at the time and has been expounded upon by some other writers right up through, you know, uh, modern writing, that this whole thing was actually kind of intended to send a message to the servant class. Uh Like at a time when there was starting to be some mobility going on of like, stay in your place. Right. Don't sass because we can literally have you killed. Yeah. Uh, Which is terrifying. And I also wonder, though, too, there's this whole other tertiary thing that I found myself thinking about while I was making dinner last night of, we've talked about it many times on this show before, people can convince themselves of things that are not true or real. Sure. And so I really do, part of me also wonders if this is not a case where, like, Orlebar introduced the idea of, like, I think we were all poisoned, and then they're all like, Eliza must have poisoned us. And then they're just backing that up in their head without even really consciously doing so, where they're like, it does all make sense. This is the only possible thing. And it's like, well, you've just literally condemned a person because mm-hmm. you got spun up on an idea that someone introduced. <sighs> There was also a, a something that was pointed out in some of the writings of the day that made me very, very sad, which is that, you know, Eliza's father had been uh, an, a soldier that served with honor for the military, for the government. And like he had no like no one seemed to care about any of that or respect any of that as mm-hmm. he was fighting to like save his daughter to pay for his daughter's body, et cetera. It's just like a weird um you know, that kind of thing where people treat other humans as, like, disposable, even if they have been very integral to something they have done. Um, it's frustrating. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm in a very murdery space in my research lately, so there might be more <laughs> things like this. Um, this was, in case anyone is curious, uh, a, a case that came up when we were breaking the first season of Criminalia, and we were like, no, she's not actually a lady poisoner, I don't think. So we can't yeah. include her. But I really, really was intrigued by her story, which is why we are here. <laughs> um, just cross-pollinating. It works out great. Um, if this is your weekend coming up, I hope that nothing horrible happens to you or by you and that you have a restful time and you take care of yourself and others as much as is possible. And uh, if you don't have time off... I hope that you still manage to carve out a little space for yourself to eat something delicious and wholesome that has nothing tainted in it whatsoever. And uh, just to rest and relax and rejuvenate your mind, body, and spirit. We will be right back here tomorrow with a classic episode. And then on Monday, there will be another new one. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.